Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Uh, today I have a special interview I did with uh, Swang uh, Van Ryzen, a friend of mine for a couple of years now who I met in San Francisco. Uh, and Swang has a beautiful soul, uh, and she was also uh, one of the uh, instigators of the uh, Beat Saber viral video. She did the marketing for that viral video. And uh, so in this interview, I interviewed her about the effort that goes into seeming like there is no effort, uh, which on the internet, a lot of people get this idea, oh, I'm just going to put out a viral video. That's all. It's all going to work out. And it's never the case. It's always harder than you think. Although it could also be easier than you think, given the right mental attitude. If you as the Bhagavad Gita talks about, if you give up the results of your action, actions and let do the action, regardless of whether you think you will get value from them, uh, then a lot of the times it just feels great to be doing this stuff. So there's always a nuance there uh, in, in what's happening there. But this interview is really great. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, uh, what she's putting out there is really special, and, and she she's really at the forefront of VR and what's going on. They actually just released a video game, um, uh, which you can find out more about by going and finding Swan VR on uh, Twitter, and she posted about that video game just recently. So, and I want to uh, I want to invite all of you to these breathwork sessions. I'm running around six breathwork sessions a day at various times. They're only 10 minutes long, uh, and they're on Zoom. Uh, and you don't even need to put your video on. You just need to hear my voice. Essentially, I'm doing these breathwork sessions. Uh, where I guide people in the breath. And I'm just getting this idea right now. I can do a little mini one right here. So uh, so just finding a comfortable seat if you want to. It's fine if you don't want to do this as well. But finding a comfortable seat and just starting to pay attention to your breath. Notice what happens as we bring attention from the external world to something that goes on in the internal world. noticing this sensation of breathing happening inside your body that's always there you're always breathing night or day you're always breathing and so what happens when we turn the attention in on that breath what kind of sensations come up what does it feel like to inhale what does it feel like to exhale what happens to the spine as you inhale What happens to the spine as you exhale? Now bringing your attention to the gap between the inhale and the exhale, the natural gap that exists. It's okay if a gap doesn't appear to you. Can, if we have a disordered breathing, it can sometimes be very difficult to find that gap. But if you bring this intentional breathing into your everyday life, I promise that you will be able to find it because I found it. So now we've just become aware of the breath. Now let's start to regulate the breath. This is a very safe practice where we'll inhale for a count of four, inhaling. 
and then exhale for a count of eight. Exhaling. Inhale. Exhale. Exhale. And now dropping that and just paying attention to what's changed from when we first started doing this breathing exercise to now. What's happened to the breath? What's happened to the attention? What happened to the feelings of sensations in the body? Some of you have, are probably familiar with this attention to the breath and what happens, but if you aren't and you're skeptical, I'd love to hear your questions because uh, I have been very skeptical in my life, but I, I'll give, just give you the full story. I uh, first started to notice an awareness of the intentional breath uh, after my first yoga class and I fainted. Um, and it was in a Bikram hot yoga class and I fainted and I was like, what the hell just happened there? Uh, and then I started to experience a lot of physical dis problems about 10 years ago uh, while I was starting my first company. And I went to a ear, nose, and throat doctor because I have a deviated septum. And then at the ear, nose, and throat doctor, the doctor told me that I could do nothing, that there was nothing I could do. If I got surgery on my nose, uh, that it would make only about a 1% difference uh, in my breathing. Said there was nothing I could do. I just kind of had to live with it. And then immediately after that doctor's appointment, I went to a Qigong class um, and I started doing these breathing exercises uh, uh, at the guidance of this Qigong instructor. And he talked with him after class, said it was really difficult for me to focus on my breath like that. I had never done anything like that. I don't know what's going on. I, I can't breathe in the way he was talking to me. And then he took one look at me and he's like, oh, You've, you're doing uh, paradoxical breathing, meaning that on the inhale, I would suck my belly in and expand my chest uh, and the ex exhale on the opposite. Um, it's very common for people with disordered breathing. I had asthma and all these different stuff. Uh, and now I'm reading the science behind oh, what's going on there. And it turns out it's very common for a lot of people, uh, particularly people with a lot of stress, trauma in their lives. Um, so uh, I'm not treating breathing disorders. I want to be clear about that. Um, but I, I, I do know a lot of techniques um, that can, it's like a salve, basically. Uh, they don't get to the root of the problem, uh, but they do help you stabilize your awareness and focus so that you can get to the root of your problem. And that root doesn't always, the getting to that root doesn't always necessarily involve therapy, although therapy can very help be helpful, can involve a lot of other things, including meditation, coaching, um, but it, it really comes down to finding what's right for you. What I'm offering is just basically, if you do this six times a day like I'm doing, uh, you will come to a very, very clear state of consciousness where you then can, then can inquire into what the root problem is. Uh, and those exercises are very different. I, I don't want to, I'm not responsible for getting you to the root, uh, but I know a lot of other people who can, uh, so I can definitely refer out uh, to people who, who are capable of doing it. Um, and yeah, so... All of this is basically just an invitation to come to these breathwork sessions. I'm offering them for free uh, six times a day uh, for all time zones. They're on Zoom. They're only 10 minutes, so they're ideal to fit into your work uh, into your work routine. 
uh, and people are really enjoying them, and I, and I think you'd enjoy them. I also have a couple of testimonials, which I can make a, a can give you if you're a little bit skeptical, uh, and also I can I can answer a lot of the questions behind the science, or can point to people who can. Uh, and it is we are doing something very powerful when we redirect our attention to the breath. Um, so just yeah, inviting you to do that if you are interested. Just find me on Twitter at Stuart Allsop I I I. My DMs are open, uh, so you can send me a DM, and I will respond. And have a great day. Hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Uh, my guest here is Swan Van Ryzen. Uh, she goes by Swan VR, uh, and she's known for the Beat Saber video that went uh, viral, having over 100 million views. Uh, if you don't know Beat Saber, you should check it out. It's a, uh, one of the first examples that I've seen of a very compelling game that got people into VR and uh, really playing it. And so Swan is, is definitely at the forefront of uh, VR technology. She's a marketer does a lot of different things. She's also a spire spinner, so she knows a lot about creativity and she also knows a lot about stress. Uh, and so today we're going to talk about the effort that goes into looking effortless. Uh, and welcome to the show, Swan. Uh, great to have you on. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Stuart. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of people look at things that they see online or they see uh, happening for other people. And it looks like they didn't really do any effort. It just kind of went viral by accident. Why is that wrong? Um, I think it gives like a false perception because it gives a lot of people the idea that like, oh, I just have to make like a very quick video and I just post it and it could get like viral to over like millions of views. And a lot of times there's a lot of planning that goes into it. Like you plan out like which segment you want, you edit it and you plan out like basically the making of certain things. Like, for example, um, in my video, I was like planning out the outfit and the outfit like attracted a lot of attention, especially from girls, because a lot of the girls ended up messaging me and were like, where did you get that dress? I want to buy it. And I'm like, oh, it's one of the kind. It's from the hate. And they were like, oh, can I buy it from you and stuff like that? So like that dress became iconic and it became associated with that song, the Escape song by Jaroslav Beck. So there was a lot of planning there. And then um, I think it also gives a really bad perception in the gaming industry, especially in VR gaming, because after that, I got a lot of people that were like indie game developers messaging me and they're like, oh, here's my game. Here's a free Steam key. Can you just make me a viral video? And I'm just like, wait, what? Like, just make you a viral video. Like, I don't think you realize the amount of effort because that viral video was like literally a two year effort. So it started um, with Jan and Loki, who are the two main developers behind the game Beat Saber, uh, creating the first prototype, testing it out, and then refining it for like, a whole year and then polishing it and then finally giving it us giving it to us to basically promote in this like you know US debut of Beat Saber in the States. So it went way back because they really worked on refining the game, making it look really beautiful and polished. And then Jaroslav came in and he added the music to it that was like really unique, really um really uh specialized for the game. So like you could feel each beat once you hit it. And for me, um, me learning like flow state and getting into fire spinning and the art of just dancing and flowing. And also the company Live, my previous company, the one that was doing the mixed reality 
uh, software where you can actually see the player inside the game. They were working on that product for two years as well. So it was all of us coming together with our skills. It's kind of like the story about Picasso that basically met this couple and the husband was like, oh, can you draw my wife? So he draws like a quick sketch and then hands it to him. And it's like, oh, that's $10,000. And he was like, but that took you like 10 minutes. And then he responded with, oh no, it took me years. So I feel like a lot of people just see uh, that video, but they don't realize it's actually an iceberg. Like basically there's a whole section of work that people didn't see that went into the creation of that video. Like basically Loki and Jan working on the game to make it look really refined and polished. Uh, because once we got it, like back in February, 2018, it only had like maybe five songs and like two different levels of like variation of like normal and expert um, and maybe sometimes hard. Um, but yeah, like they were still working on it. I was still like, you know, going to like, you know, fire spinning jams and stuff like that, getting more into flow state and live at the time uh, just released the early access version of their software. So it was like all of us kind of coming into our art form and into our practice. And the reason why Beat Saber and Lived like made such a great partnership is because at Live we were looking for a game to showcase the software. And once we got a hold of Beat Saber and tried it out, we're like, this is the best. Uh, this is the best example of like how to use mixed reality. So in itself, it was like a two year buildup to that viral video. Instead of me just filming a viral video by accident, it was more or less everybody's like, you know, skill sets coming together to really shine in that moment. And did you have an idea uh, beforehand of how popular it would become, how viral it did become? Um, we had an idea, like, it's, it's kind of funny, I think it's better to underestimate because the developers of Beat Saber uh, were like, oh, probably maybe sell 50,000 copies, VR is still really small right now. So uh, for us, we were like, oh, yeah, like these videos look really cool in mixed reality, like we could probably get like, you know, 100,000 views. So at the time, like, we knew that the content looked really good. And uh, we just didn't expect it to blow up like it did because um, this it's it was just like a whole series of events because the first video I did wasn't really the Escape Beat Saber video, but the uh, promo video for the debut of Beat Saber in the United States, um, which was hosted by Liv at like the SF Foundry. So it was interesting because we saw that there was a lot of people interested in Beat Saber in the game and people wanted VR to succeed. Same with us. And that's why like, it was interesting to kind of see that there was more than just the VR people that was interested because at the time there was only like maybe a couple million headsets out. So we didn't expect like hundred million views. Uh, we expected a lot of people in the VR industry to be interested. We just didn't expect the caliber of reach that it had. It was like going global, and like I had people message me from like Europe and Asia and everywhere, just like asking about the game, asking about my outfit, asking about the release date um, to the point that I ended up creating like this FAQ on my personal website. Um, but yeah, like I, I didn't think that um, it would get up to a hundred million views. I was surprised by it, especially since that video wasn't really the final video I was going to release. I had missed one block in the middle 
And I was like upset about that. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to reshoot it. But what happened was um, the first video of me wearing my black cloak uh, playing the Beat Saber soundtrack, it got it basically got uh, posted on Reddit uh, and it made like the front page of Reddit and we were getting like 7,000 over 7,000 views like every hour uh, on the original one. So we were like, Oh my God, it's on the front page of Reddit. So we quickly edited that video, the escape video that went viral and just posted it up on YouTube and it caught the Reddit wave to the point that it just like kept on getting more and more views. And then it hit this like spike exponential spike and it was getting like, 100,000 views like an hour and it's now sitting at 6.5 million views I think the last time I checked so it's pretty ridiculous um but yeah like we didn't anticipate it the uh the developers of Beat Saber didn't really anticipate it either because for them they thought the game would probably sell 60,000 copies and now it's at over a million copies sold Mm. That's so interesting. Uh, and I actually remember meeting you at that time. That's when we first originally met and you, and hopefully this is okay to talk about, but we, you, you basically were looking for someone to help you ground because uh, that experience was so ungrounding. Would, is that accurate? Yeah, that was so ungrounding. Oh my God. I, I've never had the experience of so many notifications from my phone. It was ridiculous. Like I woke up uh, the first morning when the first video made the front page of Reddit and I had so many notifications and I was like, what is going on? And then I saw that, uh, like, basically I made a post about it on my Facebook. It's actually pretty funny because that week prior to that, like a friend of mine found a photo of me um, in my friend's like fashion uh uh, fashion site for Etsy. And then my other friend found a photo of me fire spinning that was on the front page of a festival. And then um, I also won Final Cut Pro at this like Apple VR event. So I felt like the universe had the spotlight on me that week. And I was like, Oh, my God, this is like all happening. This is crazy. And then um, after uh, posting that escape video, and then it going viral to like over 100 million views, and it was going for viral for like over two weeks, to the point that my phone was like constantly pinging, and I had to like turn off all notifications, like I had to basically put my phone on like constant do not disturb sleep mode, I basically turned off any kind of notifications. And it was just ridiculous, because um, getting that kind of exposure, unexpectedly, um, in such a concentrated amount uh, was really intense. Um, I just had so many people message me that it was more reactionary than anything else. I felt like I couldn't really um, take the time to appreciate everything that was happening because I had so many people message me asking about my dress, asking about the game, asking about how that video was shot, asking about who I am, asking about like basically when's that release date coming to come out and like I want to play it or asking about VRs like oh like how do you play this game it's like oh you need a VR headset and then I realized that like outside of San Francisco a lot of people don't know what's VR because I got responses like oh I have like a Google Cardboard would that work and you're like no that's like mobile VR you can't play Beat Saber on Google Cardboard or like if someone hacked it like that would be pretty cool. But like, as I've 
as as I know now, like Beat Saber does not work on Google Hardboard. And then I had people message me like, oh, like I have a Samsung Gear VR headset. Does Beat Saber work in that? I'm like, no. So I had to like educate people as to like, what is VR and like who I am and then where you can get the dress and information about Beat Saber and information about my company and how to do mixed reality shoots. So I was getting bombarded by a lot of people that are really interested and I really wanted to share my passion with more people. And it was just a lot. It was just a lot to take in, but it was great. I appreciate it. I loved it. I um so grateful for it to happen but it was just a lot because i i've never been so like on my desktop and on my phone like i usually try to like you know exist and be more present but with the onslaught like it was like literally a tsunami of notifications to all my social media accounts that basically um i was just like responding to a lot of people and trying to help people and like basically get the word out about like live and beat saber and vr in general and it's really interesting because your job is marketing and you knocked one out of the park on that one i would say um and then yeah. what, what is what is marketing mean to you marketing is amplification um it's about finding the soul of your product and finding people that would really love and appreciate it uh the problem that i've seen right now is a lot of people create products without like a target market or a persona that would really love it so marketing is the idea of like basically finding a product that you really believe in, finding out the soul of it, like what makes it special, what use cases can you have for it, and then finding the people that would really, really appreciate it and how to market it to them. So that's what marketing means to me. It's basically amplification of what you really believe in and what you really want more people to kind of like see the value in. Uh, so that brings up the question. We, we talked a little bit about the unconscious. Actually, we didn't talk about it in the form of the unconscious, but it brought to mind the unconscious because you were talking about the iceberg of everything else that goes into the, creating something. Uh, and there is this kind of like thing underneath that nobody sees. And in the same way, we have an unconscious in our own lives. Uh, and I've found a lot of benefit from diving headfirst <laughs> uh, into that unconscious. Uh, and um, And I wonder, is there a difference... So like, say I'm creating something, say I'm creating a product, how much, how important is it for them, me to do personal work in terms of going into the unconscious and, and uncovering what it, what makes me tick? How important is that for my professional life as well and creating that product? How much of me creating a product with soul and finding out the soul so that I can market it uh, is then also dependent on me going into my own soul and figuring out what's going on there? I think they really go hand in hand because there's a lot of things that a lot of people love and want um, that logically doesn't make sense. Like if you set up an AI system to be like, hey, what's going to be the next big thing? The AI system probably wouldn't guess what's the next big thing because humans are so unpredictable. We think with our heart and then we also go back to nostalgia. Like if you look at things that are really popular, a lot of it's associated with like what we really resonate with, what we really love and what we really feel. Like for example, art, like there's people that look at art and they're like, oh my God, this makes me feel a certain way. And they are so invoked with emotion from it. And then you also have people that have songs that like basically just 
become an overnight sensation. And there's something about the song that speaks to our unconscious, our heart, or something in our nostalgia that brings out these memories for us. Mm -hmm. So there's a connection. There's like a collective unconscious connection of uh, just feelings and connectivity of other of another human being. And there's something that gets invoked by something that taps into that, like a song or like an art piece. Like, for example, Andrew Jones, his piece Union is so beautiful. It's like a guy and a girl looking at each other. And it was so profound because it was actually modeled after this couple that got married at Burning Man. And when he painted that piece, it was like his most famous piece. Like people, like it spoke to them. It's like this idea of love and this idea of cherish and compassion and a lot of people loved it so it was his favorite it's it was like the one of the most um like popular pieces by android and it really got him more into the forefront of being known so it's things like that that's really profound and a lot of it's like your subconscious like it's not like oh i just need to paint two people that's looking at each other lovingly there's something about that piece that spoke to people and that's i think a lot of the virality if you think about it uh one of the things that happened with my beat saber video was they turned it into a meme memes are a way of viral like relatability like there's like a lot of people like this is me in real life like me in real life and it's like funny little memes and stuff like that there's like connectivity with that so uh with one of the posts it was just like when star wars meets um guitar hero and people were like really got it they're like oh my god it's like guitar hero with like you know sabers and that's really cool so like they really got it with just that little caption of like me being turned into a meme in a way. And they like, they had that connectivity to it either with like, you know, them loving Guitar Hero that they wanna share or them just loving, you know, sabers and like flashing boxes. So um, they like, they connected with it that they wanted to share it. So if you think about a lot of virality, it's like this meme culture of like sharing something that speaks to you or sharing something that you find funny. Um, and it's that collective unconsciousness. It's like, you can't predict which post that everybody's gonna gravitate to. There's like no real formula for virality whatsoever. There's people that have businesses, like marketing companies and like artists, uh, like uh, Von Juan, that basically created a lot of these like beautiful photography that has like extensive reach. And yet they still like haven't figured out the formula to do it every single time, but they have a higher degree of getting certain videos to have over like a million views or like a hundred thousand likes or something like that. They figure that out. But at the same time, there's really no formula of like finding that connectivity um, with other people. It's like, it's really interesting. So like, it's like the new viral video is like kind of like the new band, like one hit wonders kind of thing. Like certain people can unlock certain things with like a certain video and then people just gravitate towards that. And it's funny because I like, like looking through Reddit and like looking through Instagram. And then there's certain posts that just speaks to people. And then they have like over a million views in that. And you look over their other Instagram posts or YouTube posts, and it's only a couple of thousand. So there's something about that post that just spoke to a lot of people. Mm. And it just keeps on getting shared because like, once it's out there, it's constantly getting shared. And it's funny for me because um, I still get 
hit up by my friends. They're like, hey, your video uh, is now at like Northwestern University's library. And that's what happened recently, actually, like um, a couple months back, my one of my friends sent that message to me. And I was like, oh, that's interesting and hilarious at the same time. And then at VidCon, one of the speakers used my video uh, for his talk. So that was really interesting. And I got tagged in that. One of my friends was like, hey, you're at VidCon by Spirit. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. So whatever is viral is constantly being recirculated and reposted on Reddit. So it kind of has like a new resurgence in a way. So you brought up a lot of there and I could, we could go in a lot of different uh, directions from there. But uh, one of the most interesting things I got from what you just said was that humans are emotional and that we are more tied to our emotions than we are tied to our rational thought, which actually goes into neuroscience and is, is corroborated by neuroscience uh, um, saying that our rational part of our brain is not to make us rational, but it's to rationalize things that have happened in the past uh, and put them into a box that makes sense to us so that we can live life in a simpler way. It's not, it has very little to do with actually acting rationally, um, which I think is very, very interesting. And it also brings to mind uncertainty. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, yeah, like cognitive miser, that's something that's a psychological term. It's like we are, we have the tendency to just be cognitive misers and just put everything in labels and boxes because it's easier for us to understand and take the time to get to know and understand every individual person or every individual thing. Yep. And that leads to the next thing, which is uncertainty. Uh, a lot of people these days, I being one of them uh, and I'm tr moving towards becoming more comfortable and in, in uncertainty. I was just working with my meditation teacher today who talked, he said he's writing a book and one of the chapters in the book is uh, the ultimate security is uncertainty uh, because we, most of us view certainty as the security blanket that we can kind of use to wrap ourselves in and be like, I know what that is. That's that. Uh, but if, if you really even look at it, even looking, I know what that is, those, all, all of those words rely on assumptions. Uh, the biggest one being I, meaning that I exist in my separate identity and that I am separate from the rest of the universe and that I can even point to what it is I am. If I ask myself the question, who am I, that there is no intellectual answer that will suffice to answer that. And, uh, and in many spiritual traditions, even asking that question is a meditation technique, because it, if you really ask yourself that question, uh, your personality will be blown to bits. Because uh, there is no answer to that question. And the personality is essentially the default mode network, which is this narrative structure that our brain places on our existence and reality and puts it into a linear narrative, which has no basis in nonlinear reality. What do you think of that? Yeah, well, well, the thing is this, I feel like we can get in a very philosophical debate because one of my favorite quotes from Socrates is like, all I know is I know nothing. And that was his response when someone was, oh, you're like the most knowledgeable, wise person I know. And his response was like, all I know is I know nothing. Um, I think it's better to have a sense of curiosity and a sense of caution because um, things will always change. Like the only thing that's constant that you can assure yourself on is change. Um, like all I can think about going back a year was last year in 2018 when crypto was going skyrocketing up to like 
basically tens of thousands of dollars per Bitcoin. A lot of people just in our feed, we both live in San Francisco. So there's a lot of crypto people there. They're like, oh my God, Bitcoin's going to reach 100,000 by the end of this year. Everybody buy crypto now. And then it just kind of crashed and like it went down to like 3,000. And um, now it's back up to like around 10,000 now. But that's the thing. Like a lot of people spoke with such certainty, but nothing's in constant growth like that. Um, Everything fluctuates. There's always a cycle. Um, Just like, yeah. So there's nothing that's constantly constant. The only thing that's constant is change. And I would say there's one other thing, which might, which might not be that different than change, but there is also awareness. Uh, awareness mm. uh, is is one thing that is always constant. A materialist would disagree with me and say that no consciousness only exists inside the brain of a human being. I would argue differently, and I have no evidence for this, based except from my own experience. But uh, that 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 consciousness is everywhere, and that the universe itself is conscious. Uh, but but I would say that that consciousness is also something that is eternal. Yeah, consciousness is basically. If you think about it, how everything works so perfectly, I can also believe that Mother Earth is very conscious, like she's incubating us and taking care of us, giving us water and like, you know, shelter and like air and stuff like that. It's a very balanced, beautiful biosphere that takes care of us. So to say that like Mother Earth doesn't have a consciousness is saying that it's just like a computer system that's like inputting this stuff, but most computer system has a tendency to crash or like a system just breaks apart. But like how the Earth kind of like cleans itself and cycles through everything, like you can't help but think that there's a sense of consciousness in this. And like the creation of like, you know, what we see in nature and everything else in this world, like, um, it's hard to believe that it's just an act of random chaos. Hmm. What is your relationship to chaos? Hmm. I feel like, uh, that's like my, that's my, like my bedroom right now. <laughs> Chaotic. <laughs> Not sure. Um, yeah. So I travel a lot for work. So I go to a lot of conferences. So I usually have like a suitcase that's like unpacked and then like I have another conference coming up. So I, like throw everything like into like a bin and then grab some clean clothes and then run out the door. So I feel like chaos is my bedroom right now. <laughs> and- I'm also in the transition. Yeah. I'm also in like transition right now. So I'm like moving out of Austin uh due to finishing this project with audio trip and moving back to california i'm considering moving to la and stuff like that so like my room is in such flux right now so that's Mm -hmm. that's my experience of chaos right now currently in this present state and then what is your experience of uh, a structure structure um i would have to say my community gives me a lot of structure because i feel like i need other thoughts like I need more collective um I, I think I need more collective uh consideration as to things to do because you just can't like live this life on your own it's very isolated to try to do it on your own so I feel like my community gives me a lot of structure if I'm like lost if I have no idea what I want to do um they give me a lot of structure in terms of guidance in terms of um emotional support in terms of um, just like 
spiritual awareness too. So I feel like my community gives me a lot of structure. It gives me a sense of belonging. It gives me a sense of um, foundation to really build upon. So in my world, community and the tribe of friends I have really give me a lot of structure to do the things I want to do. And what about dance? Are you dancing a lot these days? Yeah, I do a lot of static dance. Um, static dance, I've been learning some lira, I've been fire spinning. Um, yeah, like it's basically how I access flow state. It's how I become present with myself. Um, it's my art form in a way. It's uh, how I, it's like, it's my canvas to the world in a way. So I really love dance. It's a great way to move around. Um, that's why like, audio trip just made sense for me for my next project because it's a dance VR game and it really makes you move and it's it's really fun so I really enjoy it a lot and right now it's I've been dancing a lot more in VR than in real life so it's Ooh, kind of let's go down that path uh so VR you're somebody you're I would say you are an expert in VR because you have a lot of experience with it and you've marketed a lot of VR products that have done well um VR to me represents an interesting stage in human existence we're about to enter into. We're, we're in an age, age of acceleration where things are, uh, let me set the stage for this a little bit. So since in, I've been reading this book called Factfulness and in, in this book, it talks about how in the 1800s, 95% of the human population was in extreme poverty. Uh, fast forward today, only 9% of the human population is in uh, extreme poverty. So we've, through economic growth have maybe at the detriment of the natural world and the other species have created a world where way more people are living a more well-being uh, in their lives. So that's one aspect. But when I mention this to people, people say, but no, we've got so many other things going on. And yes, we do. Of course, we have existential risks to our human species. Uh, and so what I mean by age of acceleration is that we have this baseline of human wellness that we've never had before. But we also have these existential risks to our to our uh, experience, to our livelihood, to our existence. Um, and so VR is an interesting, very interesting avenue uh, towards a change in the embodiment of consciousness. Uh, and I would like to ask you, where do you see this going, um, knowing that there are no experts in predicting the future? But where do you see this trend going of separating our embodiment from our physical existence and putting it into a computer mediated display? Well, acceptance and also inclusivity. If you think about it, uh, the internet like helped a lot in terms of other people understanding other people, other people connecting. How many people are meeting their lovers online? How many people are meeting great friends and pen pals across the globe. Um, I think it's gonna make us more connected. Um, if you think about it, um, way back when it was just TV, the content was so concentrated, like, oh, the Brady Brunch or Saved by the Bell. If you look at the show now, you're like, wow, this is really shallow and kind of really bad acting and the canned laughter is horrible. And because of the internet, anybody can make content now. So there's like YouTubers that are being like YouTube influencers that have like millions of followers and they make really funny content that really caters to like the people that like, so basically, for example, 
uh, let me re-say that. It's like, uh, how do I want to say that? It's like, let's see here. So yeah, so there's like YouTubers that have like millions of followers and their content really speaks to them. And that's basically what's going to happen with VR. It's the sense of you're able to explore the world. You're able to basically be an explorer and gain more information instead of just like exploring the world from like Google Earth, like, you know, 2D, you can actually do Google Earth VR and you can stand in um downtown new york city as if you're like king kong and you can actually look into buildings and everything and you feel like you're immersed in new york city and i feel like this could help people who are like wheelchair bound or do not have the means of traveling to actually like explore other like cities other worlds other concepts of reality because if you have these virtual worlds that have different like you know uh, things of physics and different um, different possibilities and different creatures. It makes you really have the sense of wonder. It's just like Star Wars, like way back when Star Wars first came out, it gave people the imagination to think about the stars and what ifs. And it actually influenced a whole generation of people that would make Star Wars based items. Like for example, at Burning Man, there's a Star Wars based um, like, art cars and stuff like that. So it influenced a whole generation of people to think about like, you know, space travel and everything else. And just recently, this last couple of weeks, um, No Man's Sky came out with a VR edition. So you could actually explore endless worlds that's like computer generated worlds. So it's kind of giving this idea of exploration and creativity. It's just like what Minecraft did for the younger generation. Like if you think about it, like when we grew up, we had blocks to play with and that was like the limit of our imagination. Like, you know, stacking the blocks and building something or like Legos, for example, we can like build these little Legos and build these worlds. But then there's like Minecraft, like you can build anything in Minecraft and explore various different worlds by other people and destroy things. And it's pretty amazing. It's like causing people to think more out of the box and think about things in a more like 3D format and digitally, uh, digitally 3D format. And then, um, and then for us, like the kids that's going to grow up with VR where they can paint in tilt brush and like paint in like you know a masterpiece vr and like build blocks and everything else and google blocks and stuff like it's gonna enhance their creativity and i think for a lot of people it's gonna also make them feel like they're very connected with like other humans and have a sort of empathy instead of fear it's like oh like it, i think vr is definitely gonna help with xenophobia especially if you can embody like someone else that's a different skin color, different culture from you and have these experiences. Um, like VR has been labeled like the empathy machine and there's all these documentaries where you can like go into like other people's situation and you really relate and understand them. Um, one of the, one of the creators that I really admire is Brandon from Humans of New York. And he started doing this project where he would go to different countries and interview these people. And it caused a lot of people to like give money to like go fund me and like basically help these people. And now Brandon's doing this thing with his Patreon where like he would run into these people and then give them money um, just to help them buy because there's still a lot of suffering in the world. So with VR, you really lose your sense of self. You become very immersed in the 
new world, you realize new possibilities. And also it uh, kind of tears down that barrier of xenophobia because the borders are becoming more merged with virtual worlds and virtual avatars and you taking on like a different gender, a different like, you know, race. It kind of really helps with the idea of xenophobia and it helps more of inclusive, uh, being more inclusive, especially with what the internet did and made people more inclusive. It made people gather and connect on certain things. Um, so yeah, so I think VR is gonna really help with more of the connectivity and just helping with people understanding each other and also helping explore like other possibilities of worlds and concepts and just, yeah, gameplay. So interesting. And a thing that came to my mind, a realization that I had, so I know that my senses, the senses that are perceiving the world right now, uh, particularly my eyes are, uh, most people identify with what they see as reality so that they look at, through their eyes and they see what they're seeing as reality itself. But in fact, our eyes are dumbing down uh, the light waves that were that reality is reflecting uh, by a factor of 10 and then giving an image to my brain that, that says this is these objects are fixed. These are and as I move, they remain fixed. Uh, but uh, VR is essentially tricking us. Do you, would you say that VR is tricking our senses to believe that we're in another place? I Yeah, it it is kind of tricking in a way. I don't know if I'd use the word tricking. This is like, it, it's more of an illusion mm -hmm. that we're in a different place. I, I feel like the word tricking is like too harsh, but it's like giving the illusion it's kind of like uh holograms or a magician doing tricks to us it's kind of more or less like illusion where like we think it's there but it's not really there instead of like a trick per se got it and so one of my favorite books uh, untethered soul by michael singer talks about uh tr having this illusion of the senses because in a way our senses are also doing that illusion already uh for us um and he says that what happens if you go into a movie theater where not only your auditory and your visual senses are totally engaged in the movie, like it happens when we go to a movie that's so good that we forget that we're witnessing the movie and we get so wrapped up in the movie. Um, and he says like, well, what would happen if we had a illusion uh, that was uh, not only affecting our visual and auditory senses, but our sense of smell, uh, our sense of touch, and not only that, our thoughts and emotions as well. What what happens if we had a some sort of simulation that would uh, provide us with emotions and thoughts? Wouldn't it be really difficult for us to then say that 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 illusion wasn't reality itself? Uh, and he gives this as an analogy for awakening and for um, for consciousness that we're already stuck in this illusion that that. that uh, that Maya, this, all these senses, the things that my senses are um, displaying to me are, in fact, uh, an illusion, a very, very convincing one. Uh, uh, and so I find it really interesting, the, the parallels between VR and, uh, and uh, reality itself, um, uh, because in some ways we are witnessing an illusion any time that we get wrapped up in our thoughts or emotions. I can't help but ask, are we in the matrix? <laughs> well, this, 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 this is the type of conversation that leads most people to uh, uh, believe. Yeah. Yes, we are in fact inside of some sort of matrix or illusion or simulation. Yeah, it's um, it's been a concept that's been around forever. Like um, it, all the way back to Plato's uh, 
uh, allegory cave, I think. That's right. Um, yeah, yeah, Plato's cave, where basically it's these people uh, basically looking at these shadows and these people like, oh, those shadows, that's real. And then one day one of the guys like escapes and sees sunlight for the first time and is completely blind and overwhelmed. And then he finally adjusts and then he realizes there's a whole other world out there and he like has to tell the other people like, oh, those shadows are illusions. That's not real reality. They're just like shadows and like the real reality is like coming out and then seeing the sun. And then since nobody has experienced the sun or the outside, they think that the cave, uh, the cave shadows are the real reality. So they're like, oh, you're crazy. You have no idea. So this concept of like what we're seeing being an illusion and being not real has been around for eons. Mm -hmm. Like that was a forced recording of something similar. And now with technology, we're coming up the concept of like the matrix and like AI robots, like taking over the world. So if you think about it, the root of it was pretty simple. It's like allegory cave by Plato. It's, it's the same concept. Mm -hmm. And not only there, because it was at that, at that same time in history, the similar uh, conclusions were being drawn in India as well. Um, uh, all about uh, the nature of self and, and everything like that. Uh, yeah, like, so it's like always this concept because we are so limited. Like, if you think about it, human beings, like, we don't have, like, the best senses. Like, we don't have the best sense of smell. The dogs do. Like, we don't have the best eyesight. Hawks and, like, birds of prey, like, do. And then, um, like, that sense of touch, like, there's probably animals that have, like, more touch receptors than us and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So if you think about it, in, in terms of, like, our sight, we're, like, not we're almost blind. Um, and then if we have like less than 20, 20 vision, which a lot of people do, um, then we are like not that physically, not that visually inclined to kind of make sense of what's real in this world. Mm -hmm. um, same with our smell, like our smell is sense of sm smell is so diluted compared to other animals. Um, our sense of touch it, is what it is. So like we have these five senses to kind of make an understanding of what's going around around us but they're so diluted compared to other animals like dogs can hear a whistle from far away and for us we have to like hear it like closer to us and stuff like that and if some of us like go to concerts and like play music too loudly with our headphones like we would have less of a hearing so if you think about it like human beings like we're kind of diluted in our world experiences that like um we we are given maybe like a fraction of the information that we could have access to. And there's probably more information that we don't even see. Like there's probably light waves that we can't see that certain animals can't see um, because we're like, we are limited to three color cones mm -hmm. and like there's animals that have more than that. They can see different wavelengths and different fractals versus what we can see. So if you think about it, we're, kind of diluted in how we see the world and how we experience the world due to these reasons. And are we really experiencing it to the full extent? And could we like basically have these new like human cyborg enhanced systems where we can see a lot farther and get more of an understanding of what's going on in our world, hear a lot more and get an understanding of what's going around in our surroundings. Because if you think about it, like most of us are just going by our days, kind of not aware of things around us presently so so yeah so that's basically kind of like it's it's hard to gauge whether or not this is real when mm -hmm. our day-to-day -day lives are so diluted mm -hmm. what's your thoughts on that uh yeah it was, that's beautiful and um 
the thing that's helped me the most recently coming to terms with thoughts is the recognition that uh, they are not accurate representations of reality. Um, so mm -hmm. They're your perceptions of reality. Yep, and they're tied into they're tied into this image that my brain is creating, uh, that my body is creating, uh, in order to develop a narrative structure and a and a and a, a personality, um, and the, the thoughts are wrapped up in that, and, and the emotions are wrapped up in that as well, because um, I I know that when my I know that the body basically creates an image of my touch receptors. So when somebody touches me, I'm not actually feeling them touch me. I'm feeling uh, my brain's image of them touching me. And that image is feels like one solid whole called Stuart. Um, but then if I try to pinpoint that Stuart feeling, um, I can't pinpoint it inside the body. Um, it's, it's somewhere, it's everywhere. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's the thing that's most recently shown up about thoughts and images and this type of reality thing that we've been talking about. Yeah. If you think about it, perception is a huge thing because language is so limiting. Mm -hmm. Like people miscommunicate all the time. Like someone says something and then they take it a different way. And that's where a lot of fights come out of is, um, miscommunication due to false perceptions. Mm -hmm. How, what is your relationship like to communication? Um, I feel like for me, I don't like using words. I like using visuals like painting, drawing, um, music. I feel like music and just like, yeah, just acts speak more than words. Because mm -hmm. a lot of times like you can lie through your words, but your actions speak a lot more of your truth. And your body language gives a lot away. Like there's a lot of people that would say certain things, but then their body language will give away to the fact that they're not speaking their truth. So for me, I feel like speaking with just words is um, very, I don't know. It's like, it's, it's, it could be easily inauthenticated. Mm. And, and that's the interesting thing because over the last, uh, well, ever since the written word started to be developed and that was when the written word started to be developed, that was the first time that we could uh, transmit speech beyond our immediate temporal, our immediate now and put it into future and past. And so people started to, uh, uh, you know, you could send a letter uh, with some writing on it uh, and, and that letter could send a message into the future, basically. Um, but then once written language got separated from our voice and separated from our actions, uh, it becomes easier to manipulate uh, um, thought and manipulate, uh, manipulate people's linguistic capability. Um, uh, but yeah, as you're saying, this, this kind of action, this body language, those are the ways that you can really truly express uh, uh, your experience, um, not accurately, not with, high not the, with the highest fidelity. Of, for example, being in someone else's head, uh, but that's impossible as we know it now. Um, so that's super interesting. I don't really have a point beyond that. Well, yeah, I find it interesting because each language uh, reflects so much of the culture. Mm -hmm. um, I remember when I was traveling around Europe and Asia, I would collect coins because there was so much culture in the coins and there were great souvenirs. Um, I feel like that's the same with 
language. Like Spanish, for example, has so many words for beans, um, so many words for love versus mm. us. And it's really interesting on the importance of culture. And like another one is in Asian cultures, um, there's no like should. It's like very much mm. like doing this or doing this tomorrow, doing this yesterday kind of thing. Um, so the idea of like, oh, like what would have you done? It's like, oh, did you really love this person that you got set up in a arranged marriage? Should you have mm -hmm. gone through with it? It's like a concept that they don't really believe in because their language doesn't have that idea of should, would, could. Like they were just like, oh, I did this yesterday. I did this today. I'm doing this tomorrow kind of thing. So this concept of what if isn't so prevalent in their language and it isn't so prevalent in their culture. That's super interesting. And it also mirrors what I've learned in the book Range, which I think you would particularly like uh, all about how mm -hmm. this uh, focus on specialization at all costs is basically turning us into peons. And that if you really want to live yep. an effective, valuable uh, human existence, you want to focus on getting range and really diving into those topics, which you find inspiring, regardless of whether they help you specialize or not. Uh, and this guy talks about in this book how the written word has essentially made us better at dealing with abstract concepts. Uh, and he went back to uh, illiterate tribes and he would interview these illiterate tribes about things that were not concrete and they would not be able to relate to those things. So something about learning how to read and write changes our ability to move and to manipulate abstract concepts. And each generation, as we get older, each generation uh, testing them to previous generations, our ability to move with abstract concepts gets better and better with each generation. Our IQ remains the same, but our abstract abilities uh, is improving with each generation, which I find really interesting, particularly as we talk about this technology question, uh, because in VR, like if writing did that, what is VR going to do to our brains? And what is an interconnected world going to do to our ability to communicate, uh, to empathize, as you were saying, we already kind of went into this, but um, I, th I find it fascinating. Probably uh, there's going to be a lot of negative things that come out of it too, and it will um, increase our, uh, uh, th there will be other problems that we're not quite seeing right now that will most definitely happen. Um, if you were to think, well, yeah, go for it. Well, like if, uh, finish your thought. So if you were to highlight a few um, kind of, uh, issues that might arise from people's dependence on VR, what would they be? Um, so I kind of view, view, view VR as like a console for the home and then AR is like your like phone. Like if you think about mm. it, like VR in the future is kind of like what the Xbox and PlayStation is right now. Mm. And then AR is like your phone where you can take anywhere and then you have like this AR like overlay with the, like your AR glasses in the future. Um, I think people are going to play VR games to get uh, at home to de-stress and stuff like that. And I think it'll be good for them to kind of like, you know, escape from their current reality and certain stressors and just kind of free flow in these like virtual worlds. However, there's always... Um, humanity, we have this problem with addiction. Um, there's a problem right now with people giving up their lives to play games. Like there was this Facebook group. It was like my Sim character lives in a mansion and drives a Ferrari. And here I am living out of a box. Basically. Yeah. So basically it's like stating that they, there's people out there that will invest a lot of time and effort in building up their mm -hmm. avatars. And to the point that they neglect their real life. Um, it's, 
it's happened a lot with like a lot of people that get obsessed with certain kinds of gaming, like World of Warcraft, and they just get sucked in. And um, like there was a joke on Reddit, it was just, like, if you want to keep your teenager a virgin, sign him up for like a World of Warcraft account. <laughs> or and like it, it was funny, but like at the same time, like there's been cases of people suing Blizzard because like the game's too addictive that they like lose down their lives. Like they lost their jobs or lost their families because like they spent too much time gaming. So instead of like self-moderating themselves and controlling themselves and like, you know, having that sense of like, you know, control, um, they just kind of get sucked in and get really completely addicted. So I think the worst scenario is like VR becoming a everyday kind of thing like people just like doing everything in vr which i don't think is too healthy for you it's better to have that connection um and also like losing out on making genuine connections with people and instead just focusing on just creating virtual friends um like there's a saying that i thought that was really profound it's something that's really stuck with me was don't feel sorry for the girl with one friend, feel sorry for the girl with 500 acquaintances. So I'm fearful that with like all this technology, a lot of people are losing out on authentic connecting, uh, authentic connection with people face to face. Like uh, what, like what's the implications of like, you know, online dating, like, like people can just swipe whether or not they want to go on a date with you. It's giving this false sense of, Oh, there's so many options for me. Like I can just swipe left or right and then there's go on numerous states and eventually i find someone versus like you know really taking the time to actually meet someone and getting to know them and just kind of like connecting with someone and growing in a relationship so like what's really happening with like you know the younger generation where a lot of their interactions are through social media like they're sharing everything about their lives like um they feel like their sense their followers are their friends so they're sh oversharing a lot about their personal lives and it's like is that okay and right now it's just like what's the social implications of too much technology in our day-to-day -day lives and the worst i can see coming from vr is people really getting invested into their virtual avatars and their virtual vr lives that they kind of neglect their like personal health and their personal like connection with another living human being um so like i hope that it doesn't come to that point that there's like an AA for like VR people, but like, um, but yeah, I, I think everything in moderation would really help and giving people a sense of connection. Like if VR is great because you can talk to people all around the world, like VR chat is a great example of just like people just like playing around in VR and meeting other people in these like digital worlds with their digital avatars. And they create like, you know, jokes and go on adventures and create memes from it. But at the same time, like, there's a flip side of someone being completely codependent on it in like, in terms of like, you know, having that as majority of their waking lives and then neglecting connecting with another person sitting right next to them or connecting with the people around them or being present in their day to day, -to -day lives. Like VR, I think it would be great for people who have social anxiety to like actually go and talk to other people and feel comfortable in their avatar selves. Like there's been reports of people using VR chat and social VR platforms to kind of feel like more confident 
as their avatar selves and to talk to other people. Um, so it's great. It's great for that. And like VR has been used for exposure therapy and stuff like that. So it has great health implications and implications for social well-being, like quality of life. But at the same time, everything in moderation, it's um, it's 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 in a good balance instead of like you know spending majority of your waking life in vr and there's been videos of people that had vr headsets on for days and what their thoughts about it is and i don't know if that's really healthy for you to constantly exist in this virtual world and neglect your day-to-day life that's beautiful uh so we got a couple minutes left and if there's one thing that you've learned or there's one thing that you've read or there's one thing that you've heard uh, in the last two weeks to three mo- weeks that have uh, that has been significantly impactful for your ability to become more creative and less stressed, uh, what would it be in the hopes that our listeners might learn something uh, actionable today? Um, get a good mentor that you really believe in. Um, I, for me, I decided to go into VR in like 2017. And I found a series of mentors to kind of help me get up to speed. And then um, in 2018, that Beat Saber video went viral. And then 2019, I'm working for a game publisher um, helping launch Audio Trip. And I realized the power of mentors. Um, I basically reached out to a couple of people in LA since I'm moving to LA next. And I realized how many mentors I had there because a lot of people gave me great advice as to like, you know, where to live and like basically what I could do there and the, the like possibilities and opportunities that like LA can bring. So my one piece of advice that I can give to anybody is like, find a good mentor that you really believe in. And if you want to go into any industry, like if you are really interested in VR, I highly recommend going to a lot of VR meetups and connecting with people there and finding someone that you really believe in that's doing something amazing. Like say, for example, you're a psychology student, you really believe in VR helping heal a lot of psychological trauma and stuff like that. You can go to like VR for mental health meetups and then you can meet up with people that's doing amazing things in that sector. And I think a lot of them will be really inclined to like help you kind of get your footing, like basically have you shadow them for a day or like have you try their experiences because VR is still so new. Like there's no like, oh, this college is offering a degree in like VR psychology or something like that. It's not in existence. It's just like UX design way back. Like UX design became a thing because of user interface with like websites and computers. It's, it's going to be more of a thing in the future. So finding something that you're really passionate about, like that's a great thing about VR. It's like so interdisciplinary, like finding something you're really passionate about and then finding someone that's already doing it and then just get like, a jump start on getting the background information, getting to know about the hardware, getting to meet people in the community and just get really networked in. Um, so I think that's my best piece of advice because I ended up seeking advice about like moving to LA and like learning more about what's going on in LA. And I had so many people connect me to amazing people and offering like, you know, intros to like very high up, like, um, like VR, uh, like, you know, VR figureheads kind of like, you know, get more of an understanding of what's going on in LA and the VR scene. And I really appreciate that. So like having a lot of uh, mentors in the sector that you want to go into or like 
the person that you aspire to be would be really helpful because it gives you a lot of hard skills and soft skills. Like basically they can give you insights into things that you can't read from a textbook. And I think that's the things that's most vital is like the soft skills of like how to navigate your way around an industry that's still emerging and still figuring out its mm-hmm. identity. That's beautiful. And uh, how can people find out more about what you're doing, uh, connect with you? Um, probably Twitter would be the best. Uh, I'm like on Twitter at Swan VR Art, so it's S W A N V R A R T. Um, I'm trying to not use Facebook anymore. Um, I'm trying to also like not use Instagram as much anymore. So like Twitter is probably the best way. Um, yeah, and then I have my own website, uh, SwanVR.art. Um, so yeah. And then I also secured swanvr.com, but I still haven't set that up yet. So I need to set that up. Um, but yeah, like basically Twitter is probably the best way if you just want to communicate and ask me questions. Um, I'm on discord as well. So yeah, if you're active on discord, you can find me either through like the audio trip, uh, discord or the live discord. Um, so yeah, basically Discord and Twitter are the best ways to communicate with me. Cool. Thank you so much, Swan. Cheers. Have a beautiful one.